0: We all keep hearing how methamphetamine is tearing New Zealand families apart but many of us really have no idea what's going on in that scene
1: So in tonight's Because It Matters story we'll show you the effect P has had on one group of people in one New Zealand town fielding in the Manawatu Kia ora. I'm Emil Donovan and today on The Detail Researchers are worried a fall in the cost of
2: methamphetamine will lead to more people using the drug
1: Methamphetamine is arguably the most destructive drug in New Zealand society. It tears families apart, it upends lives and it costs us billions every year in social harm. Public discussion around what to do about it has ebbed and flowed for so long and in the meantime the drug itself has become embedded in our culture. So do we need to change the way we think about this drug and its victims? And is it time to move from ambitions of eradication to figuring out how to manage it. Patrick Gower is a national correspondent for News Hub. Earlier this week, he headed to Fielding, about two hours north of Wellington, to speak to a group of addicts for a special investigation series called Because It Matters.
2: Uh, It was an email that came in from Robin, uh, who runs the course. She emailed me just one day and said that she had this course and it was having the success and this is what it was doing and she wanted me to come and see it. And I actually read the email straight away, and I emailed her back straight away as well. Which is unusual for a journalist. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. in some ways it is, but it just stuck out. It just said, you know, I'm Robin Duncan from Fielding, I'm running a weekly group for meth addicts, it's having a huge amount of success, and we want you to come and see it.
1: There I was having this massive mental breakdown. I was um, 44 kilos, my internal organs were shutting down, And I was so close to death. I ended up trying to kill myself. And I knew it was wrong, but I still couldn't stop myself from doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I was sitting in a room with a bottle of booze and a knife in my hand ready to just end it. I lost the custody of my child, she went to my mum.
2: And it just, I was like, wow, this sounds um, like something that will really open up what's going on with meth. Had you ever thought
1: about meth? in any more than sort of a cursory kind of way that, man, this is something that really
2: needs to be looked at in more depth and detail? Oh, many times. And, I mean, I'm so long in this game now that actually I was around when the first stories got written on P. Okay, I was a young crime reporter and the guy sitting next to me at the Herald, a guy called Paul Yandel, uh, who was the other crime reporter, wrote the first story on P uh, in New Zealand. A detective sergeant here in Auckland had... Um, told him that there was a new drug called ICE. It was a way of burning pure crystal methamphetamine and it had led to a spike of burglaries in Auckland Central. And he wrote a story on that and that was the first story on P. So I've been around P my entire career in, in, in the new sense and seen it develop from that first story and causing crime in Auckland, which is where it, which is where it started in terms of public knowledge of it to causing massive violent crime in Auckland and then causing violent crime around the country and then uh, going right the way through the PE epidemic and the PE scourge and so many different series and lenses and different ways of looking at it at different times and different crises Mm -hmm. You know, I was there when the first story got written on P in New Zealand. I was there covering the first crime that could be blamed on P, the first major crime, the RSA murders.
0: There are no mitigating features for Mr Bell. The The court heard time and again how Bell had
1: shown no remorse for killing RSA cleaner Mary Hobson, volunteer worker Wayne Johnson and club president William Absalom. Bell also beat his fourth victim, Sue Couch, within an inch of her life. I order that Mr Bell serve 33 years imprisonment before he is eligible to be considered for parole.
2: And I've seen it go right through to, to what it is now, which is just a massive embedded social disaster and social issue.
1: You see something interesting at the top there when you said when it first became an issue it was in Auckland, it was a big city problem. You chose to go to, well you didn't choose, but you were invited to Fielding, which is a town of 16 odd thousand people?
2: Yeah, that's right, 16,000 people in Fielding, beautiful town, Edwardian um, architecture from around the turn of the century. Um, Actually a thriving place because of uh, all the dairy um, that's going on around it, um, full of pee you know, scratch beneath the surface and and it's full of pee. You know, look at that course that I went to on last Tuesday night. 12 people in the room, 12 addicts wandering around fielding who are looking for help. 18 people have gone through the course. 18 methamphetamine addicts are in fielding who have been willing enough to go and get help. There'll be more addicts than that. That's a lot of people in a small town. And one of the things when I got invited to fielding why I really wanted to go is because of my job as national correspondent for News South I'm often out and about and around the country and people will always come up to me and say hey Paddy you've got to do something on P it's wrecking this place you know I wish you'd look more at P and do more stories on it because it's, it's, it's destroying this town and that might be Stratford Waiuku Levin Gore, you name it They've come to me and said that, so that's why when this opportunity came to go to fielding and look at what P was doing to a small New Zealand town, came up, I had to take it because I wanted to show New Zealanders what is going on in our small towns. It is confronting and makes Mark regret dealing meth. like this, I
0: feel shit, because I'd out of mums and that, and to hear the stories
2: of Jamie and shit, it's like, I'm one of those causes... Remember, these mums are just one meeting in one town. It will be happening all over New Zealand. Every person
1: in that session said, if I wanted some pee, I could get you a bag right now. You're in Fielding, you're in a, you know, this is a small town New Zealand, I could get you a bag in, in 15 minutes. No
2: trouble. Any, any place in New Zealand, it will be possible. That's right. You know, uh, in Fielding, 5 to 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes to get a bag of pee. Um, Go to the Waikato 15 to 20 minutes, one of the guys said, to get a bag of pee there. If you can't find it, walk down the street until you find someone that looks like they're selling it and you'll get it off them. Mm. Uh, If you can't find it on the street, go to one of the government-sponsored motels and go to the noisiest room, staying up the latest with the music playing the loudest, and you'll be able to buy pee in there. I mean, this is frightening stuff. This is pee available everywhere, easier to get than cannabis. And what I found in fielding was that people can't get away from it. So if you're trying to give up, you've got no addiction services in the town and you've got people pushing it on you uh, so that you can't give up. So what does methamphetamine actually do to your
1: brain? Here's the Drug Foundation's Deputy Director, Ben Burks-Ang.
0: So what we know is um, over time, through regular use, meth affects kind of three parts of brain function. So these are things like being able to control the thoughts that come into your head or suppress those thoughts, being able to um, suppress really strong emotions um, and being able to predict the outcomes of a situation, so that kind of consequential thinking side of things. Um, Those three components are really, really crucial for any kind of social interaction. Um, So something that we know from methamphetamine is that it can take around about from regular use to stop stopping withdrawal can take around about twelve days with a peak of distressing feelings at around about five days but those three areas that are impacted in the brain can take several months of um, of abstinence to be able to recover from or to be for the brain to start to repair itself so that's the interesting thing that we have when we look at um, treatment or support for meth- regular methamphetamine use is that it's it's a chunk of time to withdraw, but then it can be a year or a couple of years of feeling really crap, of having those areas of the brain that are less able to function or being rebuilt, um, so learning how to control those those impulses or those really strong feelings, being able to think through what will happen next. And that what, that's, for many people, what makes it very hard to be able to stay away from... Um, Okay. methamphetamine over that time, um, remembering the times where methamphetamine acted as a stimulant which kind of sped up their brain and stuff like that, um, and and dealing with kind of a couple of years of having difficulty with those social act- interactions where that is called for.
1: Part of the problem here might be the way many people view meth conceptually. Patrick Gower says there's this enduring image of it as a sort of dirty dingy grungy drug the refuge of broken souls and the helpless and the unhelpable it's got a stigma
2: and it's it's got a real stigma
1: almost like you're weak and you're a bad person yeah, if you do it and
2: if you do it then it's your fault whatever happens to you from that point on it's your fault yep you're a pee head you're a crackhead um, you're hooked on pee all of these things are, are are really negative and it's got this huge stigma around it and you know that's what that's what that's what these addicts and recovering addicts in the course were saying to me as well they they want to lift the stigma and and get people to talk about it and accept that this is this is happening rather than boxing them off as you know a bunch of junkies who've lost control of their lives and can't be brought back. You talked before about how the way that we have historically dealt with meth
1: um, has been in a criminal sense. The subjects being that, like, you know, maybe slowly but surely we're moving towards treating it more like a health problem. But some people might look at something like that. Maybe their house was um, was robbed by uh, a meth addict in the middle of a rampage. Yep. And they might say, this, this series of pieces is PR for meth addicts. And actually there needs to be a big criminal element to this as well, because otherwise you're forgetting victims. What, what do
2: you say to that? Look, I agree, and actually I think we should be applying the full force of the law uh, to methamphetamine. You know, you can have your strike force raptors and all of your kind of hard talk and, and that kind of thing, but we do need to be addressing it as a Class A crime. It does need to be punishable with a life sentence at the top end. We do need to wipe out as much as we can the gangs, the cooks, the underworld that has been attached to this, we actually need to smash it. But you've got to have the health stuff at the other end. You've got to. You can, by taking people away from methamphetamine, one at a time, slow down the dealers. The policing can remove the supply end of it, but at the end of the day, only one thing is going to take away the demand end of it in any kind of meaningful way, and that is dealing with the addiction. Take away the market at the same time, help people at the same time. And crucially, I agree with the criticism that you're raising there because I've also had family of pee addicts contacting me since these stories have been going to air saying, hey, don't forget about us. There's no support for us. There's no support for the mother and the father when the son goes off the rails and gets addicted to pee and turns their life upside down, makes their life hell and they don't know what to do, and that's part of the destruction of it. There's actually no support for them as well. So there's no support for the addict. There's no support for the people that are close to the addict. There's no support for the addict's husband or wife. There's no support for the addict's kids. There's no support for the addict's parents. This is why I'm so um, worked up about this is you know if you're just looking at one of those people in field and you think of the harm that they've done to themselves they've lost their own kids the cops have got to be involved they're committing crime they've tried to commit suicide the havoc and the wreckage that goes with that with one person for years of addiction because of pee is just huge and you just multiply it out through one town and then you multiply it out through the country and it's frightening it's just frightening
1: Ben saying from the Drug Foundation reckons there are about 40,000 regular or semi-regular meth users in New Zealand. But because it has such a stigma around it, it's actually pretty hard to get a good gauge on numbers. But he says the anti-meth campaign of yesteryear, which emphasised the whole not-even-once attitude, is getting a bit tired now, maybe even a bit counterproductive.
0: The messages that we we used to hear around kind of one head of methamphetamine and you're addicted forever that does that's not backed up by our statistics it can be true for some and that is really serious for those people but what it does do is it means for those people who hear that message of one hit of methamphetamine and you're addicted forever who don't have that experience for themselves what i found from speaking to those people kind of five to ten years later when they when things have escalated and they access an addiction service is that during that time they go, oh, OK, well, I must be one of the lucky ones. I'm not affected in that way, so I must be fine. And those kind of messages, or only hearing that extreme side of things, pushes people to, um, to delay that accurate self-reflection or delay seeking help about things, which kind of leads to that situation where we have at the moment where we still have people waiting such a long time before um, accessing support. And
1: the consequences of not accessing support aren't limited to just one person.
2: Jamie Lee lost her kids, so did Kasara, and so did Honey. Jamie Lee says mums using meth is a massive problem.
0: I couldn't tell anybody,
1: because if I told somebody, I'd lose my kids. So that was my biggest
2: fear, was that I'd lose my kids.
1: Ben Burksang says meth is such a nefarious drug, has such a stigma around it, that it can ruin relationships, even when things seem pretty standard from the outside.
0: Some of the parents who I used to um, work with and talk through this who would say that they would regularly be checking, am I okay? Is this affecting people around me? And then the risk of letting other people in their family know or their friends know what was happening um, out of fear that their kids could be taken away from them and stuff like that, over time led to them becoming more and more isolated from the people who um, who they care about and who care about them, which also led to less opportunities for them to have that conversation with somebody who cares about them to to get the accurate reflection of what's happening and meant that later on when they did seek support, there was a very small circle of people around them who who were there and they had to go about rebuilding and reconnecting with people. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for kind of how society views a substance and the stigma that's placed on using it in, and on help-seeking, um, because at the moment with our health system or our system in general to support people with um, alcohol and other drug issues, is that it almost exclusively focusing on that extreme harm when people have long term addiction or or larger patterns which prevents people who are across the rest of the spectrum of use um from from making those changes themselves.
1: You did a series la- last year on cannabis? Was it yes. last year? The rhetoric around cannabis, particularly in the Western world and sort of Western-style democracies, has changed markedly over the past few decades, you know, to the point where many Western democracies are thinking about full-on legalisation, such as New Zealand. Do you think, just in general, increased tolerance of cannabis maybe contributes to pee being as big of an issue as it is?
2: My view is this: We're talking about whether cannabis is a gateway yeah. gateway drug or not, or what not to pee. Look, I don't know. Um, you know that that gateway drug argument is something that's there. What I do know is that pee is a force of its own. Mm. Once someone gets on that, it's over. Okay, if this with a certain kind of addictive personality, once someone um, and when someone uses pee, uh, it's all over, and whether. Yeah. You know, cannabis is leading to it or not. I mean, I just, I just don't know. But I do know this: they are two very, very different substances. Um, P is highly, highly addictive. Um, leads to almost inevitable psychotic behaviour. Um, it's a chemical that's produced. Weed um, is a plant. Um, does lead to psychosis in certain people, but not, no, nowhere near as many as P. Um, and is 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 a kind of a different substance altogether, and as you point out, viewed differently in society. But you do get into this conversation, don't you, where you're like, well, maybe you know, is the solution uh, to pee to to produce it and regulate it and have the substance known to people and give them give them what they can kind of kind of consume. You know, do we get to that kind of level of conversation in, in ten, twenty, thirty years time about P in New Zealand that's yeah. so embedded? that we have to give up and and, and find a way to to, to have a real, more realistic legal framework it's, around it. It's a reasonable question, like it, the Portuguese model. You yeah, know? yeah. you know, it, you kind of start talking like the way I am tonight and you kind of think, yeah, well, where are we going to be at in 10 years' time when we're up to the third or fourth generation of people who use P in the same family in this country, um, and it's everywhere in these towns and we're locking people up and it's not making any difference... Um, and we've got all these addicts and what do we do with them you you know casting the crystal ball out it's kind of like yeah well that's pretty frightening Mm. you know do we want to do we want to get to that or do we want to try and find a way to stop it now Mm
1: just finally on this one, in an ideal world, what would change about the way that we deal with meth in New Zealand society? What would be some of the suggestions that you would put forward?
0: I think uh, some of what we need to focus on is first making sure that as a country we are um, able to see... Uh, or able to know that it's okay to think honestly about uh, drug and alcohol use and it's okay to talk about it. I think particularly for substances like methamphetamine, where we've spoken so much about the extreme, that means showing or providing a lot more approaches um, that, that work across that spectrum of use. So the very first time that somebody picks it up, even if they feel no compulsion to use straight afterwards, that there is some kind of support or some kind of information and advice that they can receive at that point in time to be able to reflect on on things and, and see whether that continues or not. I think with that as the basis, um, there are so many approaches that can come out earlier from that. Um, and this is something that is called for in how the of um, the Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry, we're saying rather than just focusing on kind of addiction services for the top 3%, we want to expand that to 20% of the population um, for anybody who would be experiencing distress. I think there are lots of things where, for example, approaches where um, somebody who uses in a, um, in a particular way, for example, um Uh, using methamphetamine to enhance sexual pleasure. There are some, uh, some people who use it for that purpose. It becomes really awkward for them to sit in the middle of a group with mostly people who are using alcohol talking about their experiences. So if we can support and go out there to understand the different groups who are using and make sure that we have approaches that suit for them without them necessarily having to shift their identity to say, I am addicted to something and now I am somebody who um, has a drug problem and I need an addiction service to recover from that. Um, I think that's how we can amplify our prevention efforts and and harm reduction efforts.
1: And Ben Birxang says we can't treat the issue as solely a criminal problem.
0: The shift that I've seen is understanding that we can't arrest our way out of a methamphetamine issue in the country.
1: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to NewsHub's national correspondent Patrick Gower and the Drug Foundation's Ben Burks and Matewa.